This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, we are going to go um, right into the Word this morning, and uh, we were talking uh, this week, and for some of you that have been around, you may know that uh, this week we're starting up our new series called Straight Out of Context. Um, we're going to be talking for the next few weeks about some uh, some verses and how to kind of tackle different verses that sometimes are taken out of context. But we got talking this week and we thought, in all fairness, um, it's a great idea to actually give everyone some tools uh, for how they can actually... Uh, look at the Bible themselves, how you can read the Bible for yourself and learn to uh, distinguish between that which is true and those things that you hear all around you today that are not true. And so this morning, we're actually going to start off um, with the first message. And I, I actually want to just dive into something very uh, that I'm very passionate about. Um, it's uh, something called just simply reading the Bible, researching the Bible. And uh, I know Pastor Ray laughs at me. She's like, you're the only human can, that can get like super excited excited about like Bible research, but I get super excited because I truly believe that every believer can get into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into them. It is the only thing that is life transforming. There's no other book you can read that then can transform your life from the inside out, but the Bible can. It's full of truth. It's full of principles. It's full of things that God wants to reveal to you. Isn't it great that the God who created all the universe actually desires to be found by you? That was a, just slightly weak. I just want to make sure you're actually awake this morning. Isn't that awesome that we have a God who created the entire universe and he wants to speak directly to you? There. Awesome. I know you're with me. That's great. I am going to throw out a disclaimer to say when I normally teach this, I actually do it over 10 to 12 hours. So I am putting out a disclaimer. Pastor Ray has been on her knees since last night interceding for me to get this down to, you know, I'll have you out of here by 3.30 or so. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Some of you are like, actually, with Sandra, that might happen. Um, no, I will have you out of here in decent time for your potluck. Um, but we live in a day and age, and how many of you know that the validity and the reliability of the Bible is being absolutely attacked? Uh, we live with so many cultural norms and values that are fighting against biblical values. And Christians today are getting absolutely caught up in the, in, in the things of the world and in the values of the world, and they don't even know how to really fight against that. And so this morning, I really just want to dig into, for those of you who took Bible research a couple of years ago, you may recognize some of these materials. I hope it's, if that's you, I hope it's a good refresher. You just smile and nod and pretend like you never heard any of this ever before. It'll make me feel real good. Thank you, Ken. That was awesome. Um, but I, oftentimes, people um, don't think that a passage, a principle, or a verse is relevant because they don't understand the original meaning. Or they take a verse out of context and they form a thought, opinion, or sometimes even a teaching based on that very thing. And that can be at times misleading and at worst dangerous because it can take us down a path that is no longer true. And so I just want to, um, over the next few weeks, we're going to go into some of those things and, and some of the verses that have been taken out of context. But I want what I want to do this morning is just kind of scratch the surface a little bit at how you can interpret the Bible. 
you can actually get into the Word of God and, and start to really understand those three deep meanings and truths that are hidden all over the Word of God. And it says in, in John chapter 8, it says that the truth will set you free. And so we have to know the truth in order for it to set us free. And so um, the Word of God is what anchors us through the storms of our lives. And that's why it's so important that we actually have a desire to read it. Without a desire, it's just going to be something that you do because you have to. And, and please still do it. <laughs> but I'm hoping today to just open up a little bit of, of um, maybe a new way of looking at the Bible so that you can be excited about not just coming in and hearing someone else talk about it, but so that you can actually get excited to dig into it yourself. There's two Greek words used for the, for the word word. Wow, that was, that was deep. So the word in, in Greek, there's one word that's called logos, and that literally means the written word of God, L-O-G-O-S. It literally means what you see on a page. It's what's on there, pen on paper, uh, <coughs> on stone tablets, whatever it was back in the day, right? But that's the logos. That is what God has given us. It's something tangible to hold on to. But when we learn to dig into the word of God and actually search it out and ask God to speak to us, there's a different word that he uses in the, in the original language in the Greek, and it's the word rhema. And, and he actually desires that when we read the word of God, he wants to reveal, and that word rhema means the revealed active word for you. So have you ever read a passage in the Bible that you have read many times before, but, but this day you're reading it and all of a sudden it just jumps off the page at you like almost like a 3D thing where you're like, what? That's like for me, that's for my situation. That's for where I'm at right now and God is speaking to me through that word right now. Well, I believe that, that as a Christian, if you dedicate your life to actually searching out the Word of God, if you dedicate yourself to reading the Bible, I truly believe that God can speak to you like that every time you read the Word. Wow. Can you imagine that the creator of the universe knows what you need in the moment that you need it? And so he can actually reveal that to you, and he wants to speak to you. He wants you to grab a hold of the truth and the principle and the promises of the Word of God for you. There was a, a group of Jews in uh, the Bible, in the New Testament, as the New Testament church was forming, and they're called the Bereans. We read about them in Acts chapter 17, but there's this little verse tucked away that I think is so neat. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so they actually commend these believers and says they were a more noble character because they didn't just take things for face value. They went back and they searched the scriptures. They read the Bible to make sure that what Paul was teaching was actually true. Can I say to you this morning that just because a preacher is preaching something, it doesn't necessarily mean, I hope it's true. It's our prayer that it's true. But you need to base your life on the word of God. And the more you know the word, you'll immediately know if something's not right. Because when the word is in you, it'll alert you to know that, okay, this is not true. Because not everything in a Christian bookstore is great. I'm just going to say that, and I'm sorry if you work for a Christian bookstore. There's lots of great things in a Christian bookstore. But what we want to do is we want to give you the tools to not discard those, those things, but to be able to read those things, take the truth from what's being spoken or said or written, but know for yourself what the Word of God actually says, because it'll change your life. 
So why should we read the Bible? The Bible, that's God's word to us, is our only firm foundation for God's communication with us. So the way I see it is like this. God is love. Love requires relationship. And because love requires relationship, we also know that in a relationship, you need communication. And, and if you're married in there, can you just say a loud amen? Why did I hear more wives? Like, I just heard female voices just rise above right there. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> yes. But relationship requires communication. And if you're single, just listen and let that sink in right there. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing. But God communicates because he is love and he desires that relationship. So he chooses to communicate with us. So when we establish the fact that God is communicating with us, what we need to ask ourselves, are we positioning ourselves to receive that communication? Are we standing in a place where we're actually taking in what he is saying? I see it like this. We all believe in something. We all believe in something. We have faith in something. So as Christians, we have to choose what we have faith in. Do we have faith in our circumstances? Do we have faith in um, our favorite preacher? Honey, I do have faith in you. But that was a side note, sorry. That, that was a later moment. Um, thank you, Lisa, I saw that. Good preaching, yeah, there you go. But do we have faith in um, our favorite author? What do we have faith in? I believe that true faith is based only in the word. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when we hear the word of God, when we take it in, when we let it sink deep into our hearts, then it starts to transform our lives. We have to choose if we truly believe that God is who he says he is. And if we believe that he is who he says he is, then we also have to choose if we believe that his word is true. And if we believe that his word is true, then we can't just take bits and pieces that we like and discard the rest. We either believe that God is true or that he's not true. And there may be passages in there that you don't understand, and that's okay. Then we just go search it out, and hopefully by the end of today, you'll have a couple of tools to help you with that. So I'm not talking about not, not understanding something. But we either believe that in God's character being true, or we don't. Because the word of God is truth, and it will transform our lives. Can I say it this way? God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God who wrote the word way back when is the same God that is alive today. His character has not changed. His values have not changed. His principles have not changed. So as we live in a culture that is bombarding us with all sorts of new concepts and principles and values, we have to believe that the same God who wrote the Bible still holds true today. Thank you for that underwhelming response, <laughs> but that was awesome. Uh, this is what the Bible says about itself in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men, as they spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
That is the word of God that can equip you, make you thoroughly prepared for every good work. That is an awesome, amazing thing that God has given to us. So one of the questions that I, I often hear people ask that they're confused about is that if God communicates, if, if his word is so important, then why are there so many different translations of the Bible? What's with that? What, what do they all mean? And so I just want to briefly give you four types of translations because I think it's important for you to know why there's some, I don't have time to go into all the original languages and all that, but English translations as they stand today come from four different types. The first one is called word-for-word translations, or in the kind of formal way, it's called formal equivalent translating. That's a principle that, uh, that translators use when they go back to original text and they, um, they try to translate the Bible into what we have today. Now, the motivation is to deliver the original Bible to the English language unchanged. So they try to stay true to the vocabulary of the original languages, which is Hebrew and Greek primarily and some Aramaic. Um, and they try to stay true to the grammatical structures um, of those originals. And they try to find a corresponding word for every Hebrew Greek original word. Now, those translations are usually very accurate, uh, not always so readable. <laughs> they're not so fluent coming off your tongue, uh, but they're usually very accurate when it comes to the word-for-word -word translation. One, of, one example, there's many examples, but one kind of most common one that's a word-for-word -word translation is the NA, a New American Standard Bible. Um, it has, and, and to give you an idea, they had over 20 translators that worked on that one for over 10 years uh, to present a solid translation. The second kind of translation is this. It's called thought-for-thought thought translations or dynamic equivalent translation or DET for short. Um, for this one, they actually want to present the message of the Bible. They focus on what God is saying, not just how he says it. Um, and the question that those translators ask themselves is basically, do readers capture what God is saying? in this passage. Um, and that translation seek to express the meaning of every sentence rather than, or paragraph, rather than being tied to the word for word. Um, and they attempt to bridge the gap between yesterday and today's culture. So those are great translations. A, a very well-known one would be the NIV, New International Version. Um, there was 15 translators that worked on that one for over 10 years before they came to what we now know as the NIV. Um, the third kind of translation that's out there is called compound or hybrid uh, Bible translation. Those are simply middle-of-the-road translations. So they try to take the word-for-word word and the thought-for-thought, thought, um, and they take those techniques, and the goal is to communicate ideas and concepts while at the same time be faithful to the original text, um, and the product is a hybrid, basically, between those two types of translations. And you may wonder, why in the world are we talking about all of this? But I want to show you why it's important to know. Um, so, for example, the most common one for that would be uh, the New King James Version, there was 130 translators that worked on that one for over seven years uh, to present what we know as the New King James Version. The, the last one um, that we have is called a paraphrase. Now, paraphrases are a little bit different uh, because quite often they're based on an already existing English text, and then they basically modernize the language. Sometimes the paraphrase will go back to original manuscripts, but the idea is actually to go for the thought-to-thought -thought translation and go uh, kind of outside of 
trying to capture exactly what was written, and they try to put it into words that will capture the heart of the reader. So in, in a mess, uh, sorry, in a paraphrase, the message would be one of them, <laughs> and so not, not the mess, but the message translation would be one of them, where you often see um, kind of broad concepts that are presented with a lot of idioms, with a lot of figures of speech with ways that they try to just capture kind of a, a modern person in a modern setting and help them understand kind of the heart behind uh, what's being said in those versions. Um, they can be really good as, as a tool to kind of look at a verse differently, but why it's important to know that quite often they actually leave the, the foundational original text. So uh, two examples of that, I already mentioned the message that had one translator uh, he worked on it in segments over nine years. Uh, I also do want to mention a new one that's very popular today, and it's the Passion Translation. Um, it says translation in the name, but if you if you actually go and look at what it, it is at the core, it's actually a paraphrase. Um, and that's just to make you aware of that. There's some great thoughts in it. Um, it's one translator, again, he worked on what's being done now for about two years, and there's more coming. And again, um, there's some great... Uh, thoughts that are captured in different things, but you just need to be aware that when you are reading your English Bibles, they sometimes differ very much from verse to verse. And you'll see, if you actually sat down and looked at a few different versions beside each other, you'll see that one verse can actually look quite different. And I think it's just important, hopefully it's helpful for you to know, as you are basing your entire life <laughs> on the Word of God, to know that there are some different philosophies of translation. So depending on what you're after, if you're after just kind of feeling inspired for something in the moment, then a paraphrase can, can sometimes provide that kind of inspiring, help you understand in your context where you're at. Um, but if you're looking for a word-for-word, word, like from Greek and Hebrew into English today, then it's probably not going to be as fluent, but you can probably trust the accuracy of it quite well. And so those are just four different ones. Hopefully it's a little bit helpful. If you wonder where kind of some of the other main ones fall, you can always come talk to me or contact me one way or another. I'd love to kind of guide you into where that is so that you can find a translation you're comfortable with. But I, all this to say that what kind of Bible you will read will depend on what you're looking for and being aware of how it was translated. One resource that if you are not familiar with it uh, that I just want to show you super quick is BibleGateway.com. Uh, it's a great resource. And as you can see uh, there, if you put any verse in like that, you can click where the red arrow is. You can, you can click there and it, it kind of folds down all these different options for different translations if you just want to cross compare. But if you want to go to the next one here, if you push down there on in all English translations for any verse, then it gets to this. And you can actually scroll down there and every single English translation will be available for you to, to compare uh, what you're reading. It can be a great resource material if there's a verse that's really speaking to you. Very simple, very quick, just at the click of a finger. Uh, you can find it very easily, of course. Uh, the Bible app, <laughs> I didn't put a picture up there, but that's uh, a very great way to find stuff if you're looking for verses or looking for uh, comparisons between translations. But I want to I leave that and just go on to say that God longs to communicate with you. God loves to communicate with you. So all that stuff that I just went through is just so that you're aware of how that English text came to be but that the core of the matter is that God wants you to read his word. 
God wants you to get into his word. God wants you to seek it out because if you do, it'll change your life. If you do, you'll go through different situations in your life where you will encounter things. And as you put the word of God into you, as you read the Bible, you will come to different situations and God can actually remind you. There's a great verse um, in the New Testament that says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of those things you've learned. And so as you're learning things, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is active and alive in you and will start reminding you as you enter situations, as you face decisions, he can actually quicken the word of God in you if you take it in. And so I I just want to inspire all of you and hopefully encourage all of you that you can read the Bible. And if you have a hard time understanding it and what it's about, I'm going to give you a couple more tools so that you can um, kind of hopefully learn to understand those harder passages. But um, what we want to do is basically bridge uh, what I would call the communication gap. So I kind of see it this way. I see it as um, there is an original sender... um, He chooses a channel of communication. And what we need to do is we need to make sure as a receiver that we properly interpret that signal that he is uh, sending so that he can, so that we can, or that we are getting so that we can come to the conclusion that the sender actually intended. And so I want to give you five quick tools for how you can take any passage, any verse in the Bible and just kind of pick it apart a little bit to make sure that you are actually understanding the original intent that God wrote when he wrote those different verses. Um, those, I'm, I want to give uh, credit to where credit is due. Um, these steps are directly taken from uh, a book called Grasping God's Word by Duval and Hayes. It's a great book um, about just learning more about the Bible. But the first thing um, that you want to do is grasp, it's something called grasping the text in their own town. So when the Bible was written... Of course, it was written in a different setting. So the question that you want to ask yourself when you first read something is what did that text mean to the biblical audience it was written to? What was the original te- intent of that? So when you read that text, you try to just figure out as much as you can about what's happening in that situation. Uh, look at what, they, what intent they had when they were writing it and try to figure out what that intent was. The history behind that passage of that book is often very important to grasp what that is actually saying in the passage. And I want to say this, at this stage, you're not trying to form a principle. You're just simply trying to discover the meaning of the passage as it was written to the people that it was written to. Um, so that's step one. Step two is now, you, now that you know the original intent, now you need to, what, what they would call, measure the width of the river to cross. And what I mean by that is that the question you ask yourself at this step is simply, what are the differences between the biblical audience and the modern reader. Because we all know that there's differences between then and now, right? Um, So, for example, um, there are several different, I would call them gaps, that separate us from the culture then and the culture now. So as a Christian today, we want to see how we can use those same principles. But some of those gaps would be, first of all, the language gap. Um, So I, for those of you who don't know, I kind of grew up all over, but I lived for a long time in Sweden. And so I did work for quite a while as a translator. And what I realized very quickly is that languages are very different. (laughs) 
So when you're translating, especially if you're translating simultaneously for someone who speaks really fast, um, it's really interesting because you have to keep up with not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it, and the expressions that they're using, the idioms that they're using, the, the things and, and the figures of speech that they're using. And I had a few times when I was, because I translated for a few years, um, where <laughs> I go back now and I'm like, oh, oh dear. I, I, now I know what those expressions mean. <laughs> but at the time, I actually did the word-for-word -word translation. So I stood there and I was like, and, you know, I had no clue what they meant um, really in, in English, but I was translating word-for-word -word into Swedish going, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. I remember one, one um, expression being, oh, when the rubber hits the road. So I was like, oh, okay, when the rubber, like, hits the road, I, of course, in Swedish, but I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I feel really bad for the audience at the time because it would have made no sense to them either. But when we have a language gap, we realize very quickly that there's things in those original languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, that are very different than English today. For example, we use the word love a lot in the English language. But we laughed last year with the interns about this because we say, I love my mom. And someone's knowing exactly what I'm talking about now. Um, <laughs> we all <laughs> and the mom is now laughing. Okay. But then in the same way, we also said, I love hot dogs. You know, and they had to have a, a session of figuring out the difference in that kind of love, you know. But, <laughs> but in English, some of our words are, are very broad, very wide, and we use them in all settings. But for example, in Greek, there are several diff sorry, different words for the word love. One is the word phileo, which means a brotherly kind of love. One is the word agape, which means the unconditional, uh, unexplainable love of God. And then there's, there's actually two or three more words that are used for the word love when we translate it into English. But for example, in John... Um, Chapter 21, when Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He actually says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with the unconditional love of God? And in English, we read, Peter, do you love me? And Peter turns to Jesus and he says, yes, Jesus, I phileo you. In Greek. But we just read, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But if you actually dig a little deeper, in, in the original language, it says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with unconditional love? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you with brotherly love. I phileo you. So Jesus says again, okay, well, well, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with the unconditional love of God? Yes, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you with brotherly love. And so the third time that in English we see Jesus say love, he actually comes right to Peter's level, meets him where he's at, and he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me with brotherly love? Because he recognizes in that moment, that's all that Peter was able to give. Because he was still struggling with his failure. Now I would say that Peter had some pretty awesome agape love at the end of his love, life, at the end of his love and life. Um, there was too much love in there. Um, <laughs> but, but, you see, when we learn to actually dig into some of those original languages, we learn very quickly that just by looking at what was written in the original can actually change or deepen the meaning of a passage very quickly. One of the easiest resources, I'm not going to go there, 
yet, but I just want to throw out a couple, Bible.org, Blue Letter Bible. Actually, if you just try some of those, I know those are all online, but it's so that you don't have to go out and buy all the big books. Um, But you can actually go into those resources, put in any passage, and find ways, I'm going to show you later, where you can just at one click go right back to the original manuscripts and words that were used. And you can do it. It's not just reserved for scholars or people in Bible school. Um, But the second gap is this that we need to bridge is the culture gap. So how many know that the context of the uh, Bible was very different? It was an Eastern uh, agrarian culture, and they were built on just systems of bartering and and farming and, and agriculture and all that. And it looks very different than living in Kingston 2018. Do you guys agree? So when we learn to understand the, the cultural gap, we start to see that there's sometimes things that we read and we go, I have no clue what that means. But do you know that in every passage is hidden a principle? And so we have to learn to look for the principle behind the passage. Because God didn't just write things down for fun. He wrote something down in every single place for us to learn the principle. Because the principle actually spans the test of time. The principle goes through every culture. And the principle is the same for every generation. And so when we learn to bridge that gap, the Bible actually comes alive to us. In Romans 12, I'm actually not going to read all of this for the sake of time. But I'm going to jump to verse 20. And it says, Therefore... um, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Has anyone ever read that and been confused? No one? Okay, thank you. A couple of people. Because it doesn't make sense. It says, if he's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, then give him a drink. For in doing so, this is how I used to read it. You will heap burning coals of fire on his head. Am I the only one that ever read it like that? One other person did. Okay, oh, two, thank you. You're making me feel a little bit better about myself. But I I never understood it because I'm like, it's not consistent with what he just said and the character of God. And if you actually read the other verses that are before and after, you'll see that it it doesn't make any sense. So um, I thought, well, there's got to be something with the culture. So I started reading about the culture of the day. And because they all lived in, in homes um, that, were, that did not have electricity, they lived where you had to keep the fire burning at all times. What would happen occasionally is that your fire would go out, there was no starters, there was no lighters, there was no matches. And so when your fire went out, it was a pretty big deal because that's how you kept yourself warm, that's how you cooked, that's how you cleaned your water and your laundry and your dishes and all that stuff. And so what they would do in that kind of culture is they would take one of those big pots, you know, those African women that would carry things on their head, and they would walk over to their neighbor's house and they would say, may I please have a few burning coals? And then they would put those coals in that pot and they would carry it home, like heaping burning coals of fire on their head. So do you see what this passage is saying? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you're being kind. You're showing the character of God to your neighbor by doing the right thing, even if he is your enemy. Give him what he needs and fulfill his need in the moment. Doesn't that switch things up a little bit? Such a simple thing. 
but you can actually learn to dig into some of those things and bridge those cultural gaps. The next one is the historical gap. Um, and of course, we know that the, the historical context where the Bible was written is very different than today. Uh, many of the nations that are referred to don't even exist anymore, uh, right? But there's a reason why all those things are written and those, uh, those principles, again, that we can find in those um, in those different passages are important. But, for example, that historical gap can be quite important to understand because it helps us unlock the truths, again, that are hidden in the passages that oftentimes we just skip over, right? Because we have no clue what they actually mean. Or we read it because we have to, and we're like, okay, I read it. <laughs> I still don't know what it means, but hey, I did it, right? Um, but I believe that God wants to give you some keys to start unlocking those passages so that you start to learn and understand what it actually means. So, for example, one, uh, one thing that I found that was really interesting, when you look at the history of, uh, of Israel, most of those cities were walled cities because they were always at warfare. There was always enemies approaching. So they would all have, uh, they would be walled cities and they would have city gates depending on the size of the city. It would be different number of gates. Jerusalem had 12, but smaller towns could have just one main gate. But have you ever read this verse that says in Matthew 19, and it's Jesus saying in verse 24, and again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How many have ever read that and thought, well, we're doomed? <laughs> is, is it okay to be a little honest this morning? Yeah, so, yeah. Because, okay, so that, that's an impossibility. A camel doesn't go through a needle of an eye, so Jesus is telling us that all hope is lost, right? But that doesn't sound like Jesus, because the truth of God is always consistent with the character of God, and he wouldn't be telling everybody that you're doomed. So I went and I did a little digging because I thought that can't be. He can't just say that if you're rich, you won't get to heaven, because we're all considered rich, just so you know compared to the rest of the world. But interestingly enough, in those walled cities, there would always be a main gate, and right beside the main gate would be a small little gate about this high called the Eye of a Needle. What? So cool, huh? And when people came to visit a town, and they came from out of town, the gatekeepers of the city would say, because they traveled usually by camel or donkeys, and they would say, okay, and the camels knew this drill. They didn't like it. Have you ever seen pictures of camels kneeling? Well, this is what they did with the eye of the needle. Because they ha had to actually strip off the saddle, strap off the luggage. They had to take off all that stuff that they were carrying so that they could see that there was no weapons, that there were no things that they were hiding, that they were trying to smuggle into the city. So what Jesus is actually saying in this passage it's just like those camels that had to kneel and actually strip themselves bare of all their baggage, all their luggage, all their stuff that they may be trying to hide. Then they had to shuffle their way, and it was just narrow enough for a camel to get through with nothing on it. Jesus is actually saying, if you surrender, if you give up your baggage, if you keep nothing hidden from me, then you can come but you can't come and hold on to all your baggage. But you can come into the kingdom of God. Can I tell you this morning, the word of God is so rich. It is never ending. It's like hidden treasure. 
And it's there for you to search it out. It actually says in Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to seek it out. So would you seek it out? Because there's so much there that God longs to communicate to you. The last gap I want to talk about um, is the geography gap. And you may say, okay, well, whatever. (laughs) But if you look at uh, the geography, the topography of the land, there's actually a lot of stuff you can learn. There's online resources galore called Bible atlases, things like that. If you want to know specific ones, come see me after. But they can start to give you a picture of what it actually looked like. And why do you need to know that, you say? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because it can actually bring stories and settings and places alive. And all of a sudden, what you're reading actually makes sense in the context. For example, how many have heard the story of the Good Samaritan uh, that was on, he, there was a robber on the way to Jericho. And this rob, uh, sorry, not a robber, it was a traveler on the way to Jericho. He got robbed. And long story short, there was a priest that came, there was a Levite that came, and they didn't care about the man, but this Good Samaritan came And he found the man stripped and beaten and robbed. And he took him on his donkey. And if you know the topography of the land through your Bible atlas or whatever app you want to use, you learn that the land, the the road between Jericho and Jerusalem was actually a seven-mile journey that looked exactly like San Francisco, except without pavement and without trolley cars. (laughs) And so when you see, of course, because there was so, it was so mountainous and there was, it was so dark in places, it was very easy to get robbed. So it was very dangerous to travel that road. But what this man did, the Good Samaritan, not only did he take this man on his donkey, but he walked that seven-mile journey through dangerous territory. Can you imagine how much effort went into walking that with a, a man who's half dead on a donkey? So... When we start to learn those passages, we see that God was actually, when he said, now you go be the good Samaritan. How far are you willing to go? What are you willing to do for someone? Will you go on a seven-mile journey through the ups and downs of their life? Will you stick with someone who is broken, who is wounded, but they need you to stick with them? God wants to speak truth through every passage. So those are four different gaps that form this river that we can cross. Sometimes a passage is very easy to understand, and then you can consider like that bridge is really small, and you can just kind of hop over. But other times, there's many different things that seem kind of obscure. And that's when you need to just see that there's different ways and approaches to go about to learn to understand those passages. Because what God wants you to do is the next step. He wants you to build a bridge. He wants you, we call it the crossing, the principalizing bridge. There's principles that you can learn from those passages where you build a bridge over those historical, geographical, uh, cultural norms, those things that may be different then than what they are now. But um, that should be number three, right? Oh, I forgot the blue letter Bible. 
Sorry. Um, yes, sorry, I skipped the blue letter Bible. I'll come back to that. Um, but yes, number three. So we want to cross that bridge. We want to build a bridge. So what we're doing is we're asking ourselves the question, what is the theological principle in the text? So I know the culture was different. I know the geography was different. I know the setting was different. But what is the principle that God is trying to tell me? Because God is unchanging. It means that his principles are unchanging. So when we're looking at this, we don't create the meaning. We discover the meaning. It's there all along, just waiting for us to discover it. This principle should be timeless and not tied to a specific situation. That, that principle is not culturally bound, culturally, sorry, bound. And that principle, in the end, you'll usually find corresponds to all the other teachings in Scripture on that particular subject. Um, because God's universal truth and teachings from the Bible, they last for every generation. Even if it's a different setting, a different culture, a different place, a different people group, the principle lasts for generations because truth is truth in every generation. And God desires for all people to learn those principles. For example, in the Old Testament, it talks about, have you ever read passages like, oh, don't mix this kind of seed with that kind of seed, and don't mix this kind of thread with that kind of thread. And you know those are passages that were like, right? But you know that what God was teaching his people was the principle of not having mixture in their life. That was simply it. You see it through the whole Testament. And the Old Testament, and he says, don't have mixture in your life. If you go that right into the New Testament, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. And then in the book of Revelation, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. See, God doesn't like mixture, but you see how the principle from the seed and the thread in the Old Testament actually is still relevant for us today. Because God doesn't want you to live with one foot in the world and with one foot with God. He wants you all in. Because when you're all in, you can actually then start to walk in the promises of God because you won't have the promises of God if you don't live by the principles of God. And so it is so important to understand that God communicates all the time. But sometimes it's simply like a broken signal. Have you ever been in a car when you're driving and you have the radio on and then you come to this weird spot where it's like you're getting... And you get these two signals conflicting at the same time and it's static and you can't hear either one clearly. But I believe God is actually speaking all the time to us. And he just wants us to clear up the static, to put whatever tools in place we need to remove the static, to remove the mixture, to remove the confusion of listening to different voices at the same time. And actually just listen to the voice of God for your life. Because the truth that you know will set you free. And when you're set free by Jesus, it is awesome. It is life transforming. And you will never, ever be the same again. So I'm urging you to dig in to the word of God and let it transform you. The fourth thing we do is we consult the biblical map. So once we have crossed that bridge, then we need to also take a peek and look at what does the rest of the Bible say about this principle that I found? Because I, I can honestly say this is the point where most people go wrong. Because this is the straight out of context, in a nutshell. Sometimes people take one verse, and they interpret it one way, and they don't look at all about what God says about all the other 
things where he addresses that particular principle. But it's super important to go and look at what else does the Bible say about this topic, about this principle. There's tools that you can use to do that. Bible Gateway would be one super simple one just to look at the word itself you're looking at. It'll, if you go on it, it'll give you all the references for where that word is used. Um, there's also something called Blue Letter Bible. Uh, it's a great resource that you can use. Or dictionaries, Bible dictionaries, all that stuff you can find online. And so you can do it. You can find that out and make sure that you are standing on the truth of the Word of God that is consistent with the character of God. Maybe I actually will show you just super quick. Can you go back, James, to uh, Blue Letter Bible. I just want to show you this one resource. You can put any verse up there or any word, word or verse that you're searching for. And if you want to go to the next one, I put in Romans 12, uh, 20. And then if you go and click on that, it'll take you to where it says that. And if you click on that little arrow that was on tools, it'll take you to something that looks like this. And if you see the, the um, different resources you have there, interlinear is simply what you see in the middle there is you see the English word, then you see the, in this case, the Greek word, and that little number that says G3767, if you hover your mouse on that and click on that, it'll actually give you the full definition of that, what that word actually meant in Greek or in Hebrew. At the click of a mouse for you to do with any verse in the entire Bible. It's a phenomenal resource, but it doesn't even stop there. You can then go to different Bibles, different translations, cross-references, where else that principle is mentioned in all of Scripture at one click. And then commentaries. There is hundreds of commentaries of scholars that have given their lives to study that passage. And at the click of a mouse, you get to read what they have found in that passage. And then um, the miscellaneous stuff often have things like maps and other things that are related to that passage. But I just wanted to show you that's a resource that as long as you have the internet, a phone or a computer, you can get onto that and learn for yourself how to find those principles. So I just want to go to the last one, and that is grasping the text in our own town. So now that we've established that there was, a, there was something that was said to the original sender, we recognize that there's potentially some things we need to cross. There's a river. We built a bridge. We found the principle. We consulted the biblical map. Where we now land is what is God saying to you today in Kingston, November 4th, 2018? What is the principle that is unchanging that you can apply to your life here and now. If you start to take some biblical passages and go through those steps, you'll see that your Bible reading can actually come quite alive compared to just reading the text as you see it. Um, the question they ask themselves for this is how would an individual Christian today apply the theological principle in their lives? How can you take the principle that you learned and do it here and now, without applying all we've learned, all we have is knowledge. But knowledge itself doesn't change your life. I believe this way. Knowledge is it's the possession of the facts. Understanding is the interpretation of those facts. But wisdom is the application of those facts. In an ever-changing culture, how can I live according to the principles of an unchanging God because truth is truth in every generation. I want to just end with the verse from John 8, 32 that says, if we know the truth, 
it will make you free. So I hope that today, I know this was a little bit of a different journey this morning, but I hope you got a few tools, a few ways that you can study the Bible. And if I can use a biblical language, if you can be a Berean, <laughs> if you can be of noble character, to actually search out what the Bible has to say to you today, it will change your life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 